Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this gathering of your people. You have called us out of darkness into your light, and uh, we are so thankful that you have loved us with an everlasting love uh, through the birth and death and resurrection of Christ. Father, would you be with us at this time? Would you guide our discussion? Would you give us your thoughts that we might grow in truth? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, <clears throat> we're continuing and trying to wrap up the first letter of John. I'm supposed to be covering chapter 5. Last week we had a visitor in Sunday school, so that means that the last time we really studied John was two weeks ago. Uh, first John, yeah. Uh, so um, how many of you have actually read anything in, in first John in the past two weeks? Anybody? That away, Greg. Did you raise your hand, Scott? That away, Scott. <laughs> okay. So I, I think uh, given that it's been a while and there's been four lessons earlier on, on John, it would probably be good to have a little bit of a introduction and uh, review. So in uh, previous discussions, we know that John was writing to mature believers. He, the assumption was that these were not uh, new converts. Uh, they, they understood the truths of the gospel, uh, but they were facing some challenges by some deception that was being uh, uh, advocated and, and taught, uh, things that were basically heresy. <clears throat> the good thing about this letter is that the vast majority of it is very straightforward. It's very easy to understand. There are a lot of... Uh, tests for the validity of our, our status, you know, that we're uh, believers in Christ, that we are actually have fellowship with, with God, and so there's a lot of if-then clauses. If this is true, then this should be true. There should be a certain behavior that's appropriate if you have fellowship with God. There should be certain attitudes that you should have uh, if you have fellowship with God. And they're presented as a way for us to kind of test our faith. So he has in this, this letter, which is the, the largest of his three letters, a lot of uh, tests. As a matter of fact, the uh, occurrence of the word if is somewhere around 20 times within this, this letter, that there's an if-then uh, clause given to us as a way for us to test our faith, to see if we're really walking in the light, which is one of the ways he describes uh, having fellowship with God. Uh, Considering the heresies that, that John was apparently facing, it's good to have these, uh, these kind of simple tests that enable the, uh, the reader of this letter to have confidence because it was that confidence in their faith that was actually being uh, attacked by some of the heresies that were being taught. Also, we see that uh, John uses the uh, approach of repetition. So there's, there's quite a few things that are mentioned several times, and he moves on to another topic, then he comes back to this other topic. If, you were, if John were a, a student in an English class and were submitting this letter to be uh, evaluated by the teacher, he'd probably get a D. Uh, and the reason is because, you know, an essay, you want to see point number one covered in paragraph one, point number two covered in paragraph number two, and so on and so forth. And you wouldn't want to see him talking about 
do not love the world, the things in the world, in paragraph three. And then at the very end, the, the closing statement says, avoid idols. You know, it, he jumps around. But, you know, thankfully, we're not grading his, his letter. Uh, we're basically taking it as the word of God. And for that reason, it's very valuable. So in uh, the Gospel of John, I do mean the Gospel of John, uh, the very end, chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31, he gives the reason why he wrote the gospel. And we understand the purpose of, of him writing it. He says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In, in a similar fashion in this letter, in chapter 5, verses 13 and 15, he also uh, explains why he's writing this letter that you may know that you have eternal life. So in the gospel, it was a goal of believing in the letter is more of reassurance. So again, uh, adding, adding some uh, explanation of why he's given this, this letter to the people because they're, they're under attack and they need to be reassured of their faith. So one of the things I did uh, in pre preparing for today is I... I went through the uh, entire letter. I've read it probably about five or six times in the past two weeks. And I, uh, I uh, wanted to try to really look at the verses and, and see which ones were really jumping out at me. I said, you know, there's a lot of great verses in this, uh, in this letter. So I thought before we go to chapter five, let me just, you know, share with you some of the ones that jumped out to me. So chapter 2, beginning in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There we see it. Okay. Very clearly what he's trying to do. But the anointing, this is, this is also very important, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. I think that's a reference to Christ promising the Holy Spirit who would teach them in all truth. You have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true... And it's no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Again, that's one of the, the keys to standing firm. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So there's that picture of being, you know, thoroughly prepared, thoroughly reassured at, at, at Christ's coming. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, well, let's see. Beginning in chapter 1, actually, the life was made manifest. We have seen it and testified to it. Chapter 1, verse 2, I'm sorry to be jumping around. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. How do we know God? We know God through believing in his Son, Jesus Christ, that he has sent. Uh, chapter 1, verse 9. This is the basis for the part of our worship service where we have the confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A lot of things included in that, you know, we're, we're sinners. We continue to sin even though we're believers, but we're, we're instructed to confess that sin, to repent. Um, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here's, a, here's one that, that tells us what our attitude should be toward the world. Uh, and it's punctuated at the very end of the letter when he says, avoid idols. Uh, we have this 
battle of looking at the world and enjoying the things in the world and what it has to offer. And we form these idols, things that we love, things that we pursue, and they're things. In many cases, they're, they're things. They could be possessions. They could be uh, we love our work. That's our idol. That's what we live and breathe you know, for uh, is, is work. Uh, chapter 3, beginning of verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. This is probably one of the, the greatest promises. Uh, you know, Christ arose never to die again. His risen body is glorified and immortal, and we're going to be like him. So as, as I've, I've been getting older, I've, I'm starting to really appreciate that very much as, as I get aches and pains in different places and new places, it seems like, every day. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that new glorified body. I'm sure that some of you are. Uh, but that is a great promise. We're going to be like him. When he appears, we shall be like him. And uh, here's this, this important thing, again, relating back to the repentance that we saw in chapter 1. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Uh, continuing on in chapter 3, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So... Uh, you know, pursuit of holiness has to be a part of the Christian's life. If we're a believer, if we have fellowship with God, <clears throat> if we don't pursue holiness, uh, we're going to be in a rude awakening when we're in heaven because we're going to be surrounded by holiness. And if we're, just, if we're not used to that, it's going to be kind of a shock. And I think that uh, very clearly that should be very central in our lives to pursue holiness, to uh, avoid sin. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, if we have fellowship with God, we love God, we're going to love the brothers, love the brethren. And that means also uh, meeting their needs. Someone is struggling, someone needs something, something that we can provide, the right thing to do. Again, behavior that should be associated with having fellowship with God. Um, a restatement of this, chapter 3, verse 23, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, okay? And then, of course, returning back to this uh, objective of reassurance, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Whoever loves the Father, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So, anyway, that's kind of a, I hope that maybe in that little bit of uh, monologue there might have returned your thoughts to the, the letter and some of the content of it. So now we're going to finally look at chapter 5 together. So, uh, I wonder if I get two people who are willing to read 
chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 to start with. One person to do chapter 5, 1 through 12. Read that. All right. Thank you, Frank. And then uh, someone to pick up in verse 13 to the end. Thank you, Eric. Frank, take it away. So, all right, uh, now we've read this. Um, let's, let's first ask the question pertaining to the first three verses of uh, John 5. It seems to be talking about, about love. So looking at these three verses, uh, what can we conclude about our ability to love anyone? What do you think is uh, 
what's the point of, of him starting out describing love this way? I had I asked the first question and you can't follow up, but go ahead. Go ahead, Teresa. You you don't know the answer to that question? I would say no, we don't. Love is not in us. No. But uh, we do now have the ability to love. Okay? So, but I was, I was asking, what, what do we, so you actually touched on the subject. I mean, do we have the ability to love apart from God loving us? I think that's part of what's being taught here, right? Rob, you were going to, you had your hand up. Okay. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. We love him because he first loved us. The word says that, so, yeah. Okay, yep. I would say probably not. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the indicators that we actually love God and that we are uh, belong to him is that we love one another, that this love that he's had for us is, is to put it a certain way, infectious. We, uh, we're, we're willing to love others uh, and able to love others. Um, like I said earlier, you know, John jumps around quite a bit in this letter. And if you look back on at chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, this topic of love was, was also already mentioned. So why don't we turn to chapter 2 and look at verse 9. So what does chapter 2, verse 9 say? Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. So uh, the metaphor of Believing in Jesus Christ, having fellowship with God the Father is uh, presented in this thing that God is light and him there's no darkness. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. There again is one of those examples of that, that if-then test uh, of our faith. So, uh, yes, what your, the answer to your question is we don't have the ability, but because uh, we have believed on the, on the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that God has saved us, and we also understand that God has loved us by giving up his very precious son. We're kind of, we are won over by that uh, amazing demonstration of his love. And so now love is inside of us. It can, is manifested in us, and we can pour out our love. Okay. Uh, first, Jay. Then, then Pastor. <laughs> Yeah. And then connect that with 
Yeah. Yeah. It kind of comes full circle. So again, going back to the purpose of the letter to reassure us, you know, we see this uh, dependence and we see that uh, we can have confidence. Um, going on in verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So we see also that, uh, again, our ability to love our brother is tied to our abiding in God, abiding in Christ. Um, so Matt, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I forgot you raised your hand, but it's a sign of my old age, but go ahead. Yeah. You're saying that if you're not a believer, you can't have affection for someone else. You're, you're saying that, that an unbelieving parent can't love their child. Well, no, you, you have affection, you, you, you care for that child, you give of yourself for that child. Um, but I, I like the way that Bob puts it. It's, it's this sort of mix of obedience and knowledge and, and love all put together. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that, Teresa? Okay. Because that was a very, very good explanation. Okay.
Well, kindness is, 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 is fine. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, you know, low, low about kindness. I mean, what, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, that is a fruit of the Spirit. There's nothing wrong about being kind to anybody. That certainly is, is, a, is a Christian trait, if you, if you want to understand that. Yep. So, well, yeah, it's, it's different, but there's nothing wrong with it. Okay, okay. Frank. So in this, in this chapter, it also talks about having the world's goods and seeing a brother in need. And are you really in the light loving God and loving your brother if you withhold, you know, the goods? A lot of times, you know, our, our ability or the extent that we're willing to love somebody else uh, ends when it affects, you know, my personal comfort, my personal desires. Uh, along with that, you know, if, you're, if we're really honest... There's a lot of different Christians, a lot of different personalities, different backgrounds. And there, there are some that we might personally find kind of annoying or maybe unattractive. It's easy to love somebody that we get along with. It's easy to love somebody that, you know, we like hanging out with. We like the way they think. We think the same things. We, we like the same things. It's very easy, but God has called many different people, different backgrounds, into faith, and we're to love them all, including the ones that uh, are not lovable. And that's, that's another, you know, thing that we have to kind of be aware of. When, when we have somebody that we know who's a, who's a Christian, and, you know, there's somebody we don't like about, we don't like to hang, you know, don't like to talk with them, don't like to hang out with them, those are the ones we actually need to, that's, that's a true test of our love, because, again, it, it mirrors what, what Matt had said, uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing loving or attractive about us that warranted, you know, receiving such a demonstration of God's love and grace. Okay, Scott. Go ahead. Yep. That, yeah, that's a that's sinful. You want something in return. You're you're coveting something. Yeah. So there's all you know, if we if we think about this, we, we there's all kinds of ways that we can distort uh, you know what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, love is is everlasting from God. It's 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 uh, He gave His most precious Son for us, and we should be willing to be equally sacrificial. But again, what, what it says here, whoever loves his brother abides in light. Again, it, our ability to love, still we need to uh, have the love of God in us, and we need to be abiding in him. We need to be obedient, like, like Rob had said. 
it's all tied together. So uh, that's a very uh, important part of this, uh, of what this passage is teaching us. <clears throat> um, we're going we're gonna to come back to uh, verses 6 through 12 toward the end of the, the Sunday school lesson. We're going to actually now look at 1 John beginning in verse First uh, John five, beginning of verse thirteen. Um, so now we're looking at. I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in what we, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. And I'll stop right there. Again, this is uh, addressing, you know, the confidence because, and, and by the way, so there's, a, there's like this full circle. How can we love God? We have to love his son. We have to believe, and this says, the name of the son of God. Believe that it is God who saves, and Jesus is the son of God, and he came to save sinners like you and me. And because of that, we have eternal life. Um, the, the confidence, again, is addressing this, this uh, deception that the uh, heretics were trying to advocate. Uh, but again, like I said, John repeats himself. So if we, if we look back to chapter 3, verses 19, let's just take a look at that. Chapter 3, verse 19. By this, chapter 3, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So, the real question is, what does this by this uh, refer to? You know, whatever it is, it reassures our hearts, right? It's basically what was discussed right before that, and the topic was loving one another. Um, if, we, if, if we are loving one another, then that should reassure us. That's another one of those, those tests that you could... Say okay, that there's another test. I, it looks like I, I I'm you know honestly loving my bro, my brothers and sisters, and so I should have confidence. All right, so going on from there, beginning in verse 16 of John, First John 5. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a, there is sin that does not lead to death. So, what's what is some what's the major point of, of this passage? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to call my son. 
And then I'll come back to you. Eric. All right, so just to be clear, so when, when this is speaking about death, is this talking about physical death or is it talking about the eternal death, eternal punishment? Eternal. Very good. Okay. So it's talking about a sin that leads to, you know, eternal punishment by God, God's wrath poured out on the person uh, and such. Um, Rob, help me out. No, that's, that's not, the, not the point. Okay. Okay. You know, uh, so in the Garden of Eden, there was one, one rule to follow, one commandment, right? And, and because uh, we didn't follow that, uh, it was necessary for God to give us, you know, ten commandments that we had to try to follow. And there was all kinds of ceremonial laws and practices that we had to follow uh, to be, uh, you know, right before God, to get, have atonement for our sins. And we know that that, that didn't work and that was, was insufficient. Um, just as sin entered through one man, now uh, grace and truth have entered through the God-man, Jesus. And there really is basically only one commandment that needs to be obeyed right now to, to please God, and that is to believe on his son. So it's God, it, God has made it pretty simple for us. We couldn't follow the ten before that, that followed the breaking of that original one commandment. There's now one commandment that we all need to obey, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we obtain righteousness before God. So, uh, uh, obviously, the sin leading to death is, the, is, is basically not believing that, that one commandment. That's the, that's the one sin that is, is going to keep us out of heaven. So somebody once asked me, and I was having this little debate, uh, this person, you know, had some gay friends, lesbian friends, and they wanted to know, I cannot, well, they made a statement, I cannot believe that God is is going to send these, these friends of mine to hell because they happen to be gay. And uh, I replied to her, I said, uh, God is not going to send those people to hell because they're gay. He's going to send them to hell because they do not believe on his son, Jesus Christ, the only means of salvation. End of discussion. That's, that is the uh, uh, unpardonable sin. Um, we're told to pray without ceasing, and, and this particular passage really is basically emphasizing to us that we are to pray for one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to know each other's situations. We're to know each other's struggles. 
we should know each other's burdens, and we should be praying for one another. And a sin that someone else is committing that we're aware of, that's a burden. And that's not a, that's not a good burden for that other person to be carrying. And so we should be praying for that person, praying that God would give that person a sorrow that leads to repentance where they can turn from that sin. Plain and simple. We're to, to pray for one another. That is really the, the emphasis of, of this passage. You know, we, we can, you know, the fact that there's some deba- discussion in here about the sin not leading to death, the sin that does lead to death, and, and this and that, we can kind of get distracted. Uh, and the important thing is that John doesn't, doesn't forbid you for praying for somebody who is unsaved. Because basically, the, the sin leading to death is, is a lack of faith. I know a lot of unsaved people. Some of them are my own children. And uh, I think it's right to pray for them. I think it's right to, it's the right thing to do. I'm, I'm drawn to it. I, I can't help but, but pray for my children. So to pray for those who do not know Christ is a good thing. Bill, please. And I think the key is he shall ask. That's what repentance means. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If they're sinning. Yeah. That he might that the person might repent of their sin. That that's and, and that's that's so important. Again, said earlier that pursuit of holiness is an important part of Christian life. Bill? We can pray that he will repent. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So that should caution us if we try to pray in something that's honorable and not holy. Yeah. Like building a house without God. Yep. It's going to fail. Yep. Okay, so now we're going to. Good, we have about 15 minutes. So we're going to go back to. First uh, John ch- chapter 5, verse 6, okay? Sure. Yeah. Yes. I think that that would probably be true for for most of us. We, there's people that are unsaved that we meet, and we might find them downright despicable. I mean, the way they think, the way they talk, and their actions are contrary to uh, righteous behavior. And so, yes, we do hate sin, and and uh, and yet we we look at the person we don't we don't want you know 
we don't want them to be saved sometimes. We say, you know, I, I, you know, I can't wait to the judgment day for them. I mean, I'm sorry, but I've had those thoughts, and uh, I try to, try to turn away from them. But I think all of us uh, have run into people who are unsaved, and, and some of the most hateful people around because of what they say. I, I, things I read in the newspaper about uh, Planned Parenthood and... The other time, a day on the radio, I stumbled across an interview with uh, the head of Planned Parenthood. I listened for about 30 seconds. I just had to turn it off. I couldn't stand to even hear the person's voice. And yet there, the possibility is that God could call even them into repentance because he called me. All right, so we're going to go back to, uh, th this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we, well, let's just stop right there, okay. You know, I said that uh, most of the things that John writes in this letter are, are very straightforward. You understand, litmus test, you know, you know are you uh, walking in the light? You hate your brother? The love of God is not in you. You're not a believer. You're not acting like a believer. And so you have all these great tests. Then we read this thing, and it's like, what in the world is going on here? And so I have come across this, you know, a couple of times in my, my life where I, I've looked at it and I've puzzled through it and I try to figure out what exactly each of the elements here in this he talks about water alone. He talks about water and the blood. And so I said, okay, let's see what the commentators, commentators say. And, you know, you look at them, and, and, and they kind of sometimes disagree. They say some people think this, but this is probably not it. And you, and you, you wind up not landing anywhere. But they, the one thing they do agree is that the resurrection of Christ from the dead is is just foundational to our faith. You know, Paul writes that if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are fools. You know, there is no hope for us. You know, we're, we're fools, and we're foolish to uh, think that there's anything more beyond this life if the resurrection did not happen. But still, you know, when you read this, you want to try to make some sense out of it. Like, what does the water stand for? What does the blood stand for? What does it mean by combining the water and the blood. And so um, some of the commentators say that by the water and the blood is a direct reference to when the centurion thrust his spear in the side of Christ when he thought he was dead, and water and blood came out at the same time. Um, maybe that's to, to point to his actual death, that Jesus was dead on the cross. So the people that, that think that Jesus wasn't dead and that's why he was able to come back to life, that that you know, cannot possibly be true. Jesus died on that cross and he was buried. So that certainly uh, is, is a valid you know, position. And then, then they say that the water points back to uh, the water baptism of, of Jesus. Um, let, me, let, me read, let me read exactly, this is uh, uh, R.C. Sproul's uh, 
Reformation Bible. Some, some suggest that the water refers to the baptism of Jesus and the blood to the crucifixion. Okay, well, just what I said. This is unlikely since John in his gospel does not directly recount the baptism of Jesus. Others suggest that water and blood refers to the two sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. This is also unlikely since John does not recount the institution of the sacraments in his gospel. The difficult saying of this verse probably reflects John 19, 34. That's when the centurion, you know, thrust the spear in Jesus' side. In John's gospel, the testimony God bears to his son is his son is a key theme. The blood and water that flowed from Jesus after his death attested to the reality of his death. The wound in Jesus' side later confirmed the reality of his bodily resurrection. Both the death and the resurrection were denied by the docetists. Is that the right pronunciation, docetists? Who denied the humanity of Christ. They, they believed that, that Jesus, God came down and dwelled with Jesus for a little while following the baptism, but, but then went back and Jesus was back to being a, a, a human, human without uh, the presence of God in him. So um, the problem is that when I'm looking at this and, and what I've tried to puzzle through this is I've tried to understand this. John makes a point of saying this. This is, this is he who came by water and blood. Again, bring them together. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And so there seems to be something. If, there's a, if he's separating the water and then saying by the water and the blood, it's almost like, the water by itself is, is somehow insufficient. Okay, Eric, what do you have to say? Yeah. 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 That's our sins are covered by His blood. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, go ahead, Jay. Okay, that's, yep, yeah, that's, that's, makes sense. I, you know, having looked at this so many times, I'm going to just end with this. This is just, uh, so there's something both ordinary and then there's something miraculous. So by the water only is somehow, uh, it, it, I, I believe that the, the water is, it, well, okay, this is not, solid theology, and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, having looked at this so many times, I, I've tried to put my, wrap my mind around it and try to come up with some kind of explanation of what's going on. 
You know, if you think about uh, water and blood, water is somewhat ordinary. Blood is very complex. We know that even the Bible says that the, the life is in the blood, right? Life is in the blood. Um, Jesus, you know, came the first time in an ordinary way. He was, he was born of the Virgin Mary. Just like all of us, we came, she was, he was born, just like each of us was born, entered the world in a very ordinary way. When he died on the cross, most of us consider, you know, death as, you know, that's a one-way exit, right? That's, we leave this world, we depart this world, uh, and as far as, you know, we know, as, as far as the present time is, we don't, we're, we're gone. We're not going to see that person again except, you know, in the day of resurrection. Um, but Jesus came twice. He came once in a very common, ordinary birth, just like all of us. But he also came back from the dead. So in, in a sense, you know, we, we think of there being two advents of Christ. His birth 2,000 years ago was the first advent, advent, and the second advent has not happened yet, right? But actually, coming back from the dead, he had re-entered the world already a second time. He entered the first time through natural birth. He entered a certain, the second time in a miraculous way by coming back from the dead. This, this shedding of blood that gives forgiveness. Uh, Christ died. He, he died on the cross. So, really, the fact that, you know, he was born the ordinary way points to the incarnation of God. The Son of God became man. You know, Mary was a virgin. The father of Jesus was God the Father. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in Mary's womb. That, that part was miraculous. But the entrance, the coming into the world part of Jesus was very ordinary. But when he came back into the world after death, you know, being resurrected, that's the extraordinary part. And that's the part uh, that is the, I, I've shared this, put this uh, to people in different situations. The resurrection is the proof of the pudding of our faith. The resurrection is the proof that everything that Jesus said was valid. Everything that he said was reliable. Uh, when, he, when he said he was going to die and, and, and come back, that, uh, that would prove that his, the grave could not hold him. And when we're told that when he returns and he appears, we're going to be like him, that means that just as he was raised from the dead, so will we, so will we be. And so this is a, it's not necessarily a, a perfect, you know, explanation. Um, but that's the way I look at it. The, the resurrection is the key. I think m most of the commentators say that the resurrection is the key, as, as we will, all would agree. It's the proof of the pudding. It's the cornerstone of our faith. And that's why, you know, of our three major holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, and Easter, Easter is my favorite holiday. You know, there's no gifts, not, not the physical ones, but we remember that great gift that 
you know, we did receive. Um, so, again, don't be deceived. Don't be pulled away from our faith. Uh, what are some of the things, the, the bullet points? Abide in Christ. You know, we should be in the Word. We should be, uh, how do we abide? We should be reading the Bible on our own. So be in a Bible study. Be with other believers, exploring God's Word together. Worship every Sunday. We're called to gather together once a week to assemble. Worship every Sunday. Pursue holiness. That should be central in our, our, our faith. Like I said earlier, if we're not pursuing holiness, we're going to be a rude awakening in heaven when we're surrounded by holy people and a holy God. We're going to feel really a little bit out of place and say, oh gosh, I, God had to cut away a whole chunk of me for me to be <laughs> given this immortal body because I was hanging on to all these sins. You know, it could be very, you know, on the other hand, it could be a, a, a life that, that's lived in preparation for that, constantly uh, repenting of sin, becoming more and more like Christ. And so the, the, the transformation of our body or the resurrection of our body, whichever happens to us, is going to be a, a glorious, marvelous thing. It will be a glorious, marvelous thing. Do not love the world. Uh, the world has many idols uh, to distract us. Uh, love the brethren, care for the needy, pray for each other, and confess that God has come in the flesh in the person of Christ. He, uh, he did it for us, he accomplished it for us, and it's, and it's done. Let's close in prayer. Father, uh, thank you for the Apostle John. Uh, we, we know he's, he wrote some great books in, in the New Testament, and we're thankful for his faithfulness. Uh, for his uh, love of us, that uh, his joy would not be complete unless our joy was complete and that we uh, are confident that we stand in the light and we walk in the light and we abide in Christ. And the evidence of our faith is that we love each other. We uh, avoid idols in this world, um, that we pursue a life of holiness. Lord, would you give us that power to do that? And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.